Today on Blue 58, the Packers edge rushers delivered on their potential in 2023, but with changes coming to the defense, how does this unit project for next season? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Quick note before we get started, I've been releasing episodes as I record them as we hit the offseason here, just so we come out, they, they come out a little bit more regularly. So you'll be getting episodes, hopefully, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I know it, it's a little bit different than the regular season, but I think once we get back toward having games, we'll go back to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday release schedule or Monday, Wednesday, Thursday night after I'm done recording schedule. Just that seems to be the best way to do things for right now, trying to stay in your feed a little bit more consistently. The The Friday to Wednesday gap was just a little bit longer than I wanted. This feels better to me. So that's why the, the release schedule is a little bit differently, if you've noticed. If you haven't noticed, don't worry about it. Packers coaching staff is finalized, uh, or appears to be finalized. They've got everybody they need for the, the defensive side of the ball under new defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley, having added pass game coordinator Derek Ansley. Uh, Ansley comes over from the Los Angeles Chargers, having been their defensive backs coach in 2021 and 2022, then their defensive coordinator in 2023. Experienced coach was a college coach from 2005 to 2017, with two stints added Alabama in there, was up in the NFL in 2018 as a defensive backs coach for the Raiders, then back to Tennessee for 2019 and 2020, where he was their defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach before, of course, ending up with the Chargers as well. Ansley is noteworthy because he had an interview with the Giants this offseason, in addition to having some connections to the the Brandon Staley branch of the Vic Fangio tree as well, uh, as the new linebackers coach that they brought over, um, they are not out of you know they they're not out of the the Fangio tree uh, really at all. And we got to make a note there, uh, Anthony Campanile. Uh, I think I said Campanile on the last podcast, which is wrong. Didn't even bother looking it up uh, prior to that podcast, which of course is a mistake on my part. So Anthony Campanile coming over as well. But all that to say, they are not completely divorced from the, the Fangio side of the NFL defensive world here. And we'll talk about that more here in a second. As it stands right now, you've got, what is it, five defensive coaches and then another assistant defensive coach. So so maybe six, depending on how you want to count it. Well, it's not really depending on how you want to count it. It's, it's five position coaches and coordinators. And then... Um, Assistant coach uh, Ogabasi there, the, the the assistant defensive line coach. Um, but as it stands, you've got defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley, uh, defensive line coach, coach Jason Rebervich, uh, linebackers and run game coordinator Anthony Campanile, uh, passing game coordinator Derek Ansley, and defensive back coach Ryan Downard. Seems pretty good to me. Before we dive into edge rushers, I want to take a brief detour through a topic that I want to address one more time before I make a point to just let this go for the balance of the offseason until we inevitably pick it up again in training camp. The 4-3 versus 3-4 stuff. I personally don't want to get too hung up on telling people to not get too hung up on this, but people are just getting way too hung up on the 4-3 to 3-4 scheme difference. And it's just not going to matter that much in Green Bay. It just isn't. It's that it is not a going to be a key factor for this defense. You can tell that for a few different reasons here. 
first because of the coaches. We, we hinted at it there for a second. Uh, there's a There was a story on PackersNews.com from Tom Silverstein this week who I think should probably know a little better uh, scheme-wise, and they weighed in on this on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Packers News podcast, uh, that the scheme difference isn't that big, but the the beat is making a big deal of the switch from a 3-4 to a 4-3. This isn't even the first time, by the way, that this has happened. Uh, in 2014, the Packers made a big deal out of having secret practice sessions during training camp that were closed to the media where they worked on a 4-3 defense after Julius Peppers came over. Uh, they unveiled it in week one, promptly got torched by the Seattle Seahawks and really didn't use it all that much the rest of the season. It's happened before. When Mike Pettin came to Green Bay, people asked about his base defense, and he said, yeah, it's kind of a 3-4, but we run a multiple front anyway. It, it just doesn't matter all that much. And if you look at the coaches the Packers have brought on this offseason – you'll see why why they're not even married to that system all that much. So this this piece that I was talking about that um, Tom Silverstein wrote cites that uh, Campanile's arrival in Green Bay is, is significant evidence that the Packers want to run a 4-3. Part of it is because his job title is just linebackers coach, which presumably means off-ball stuff because they don't have an outside linebackers coach anymore. But the thing is, Campanile's been coaching in a 3-4 system the last few years, first under Fangio, then under previous coordinators in Miami, dating back to Brian Flores, who comes from the, from a 3-4 scheme himself. His his NFL experience to this point has been with 3-4 inside linebackers. Jason Rebrovich, who switches from outside linebackers coach and pass for specialist to defensive line coach, has spent more of his career working in 3-4 defenses than 4-3 defenses. Uh, obviously, he worked in a 3-4 base with the Packers before. Not that it really matters all that much. But when he was in Buffalo, he worked under uh, Mike Pettin in a 3-4. Then for one season under Jim Schwartz in a 4-3. Then Buffalo was back to a 3-4 for the next four years. Then he goes to Jacksonville, where the Jaguars are in a 4-3 for the four years that he's there. But they use a lot of 3-4 elements in that system. How do we know? Well, because of their their personnel, but also they had Dom Capers on staff there too, who is one of the most dyed-in-the-wool 3-4 practitioners there are. If you, you know, Capers is a bit of a byword in Green Bay. You can't really say too many positive things about him before people start looking at you sideways. But as a coach and an and, and, and innovator in the NFL, he's right up there. He's been an influential coach for a long, long time. And if you look back to what he did with the Steelers, along with Dick LeBeau there too, it, he's he's done a lot for defense in the NFL and can implement a lot of good stuff for your defenses and, and has over the years and did in Green Bay. And then, of course, Rebovich comes to Green Bay and runs the 3-4 with the Packers as well. So they have a bunch of experience in both. And for that matter, Halfley has some experience in both as well. So what I'm guessing we'll hear actually from Halfley is that we're going to run like a multiple front type deal. In his discussion on Scheme from the podcast that he did with uh, Adam Brenneman a couple couple weeks ago, he mentioned wanting to play with four down linemen. But I'll play the clip again of what he thinks his scheme is. Listen to where he spends most of his time talking about the defense. This is what he thinks his scheme is. We've been more middle-close defense with a safety in the middle of the field than probably most people in college football. Yeah. 
Um, most people are some type of too high quarter space, and I get it for the quarterback run game. So mm-hmm. we've had to kind of trend in that direction as well. But I've, I've done a lot. I've done a lot, at least a starting point with the middle close with four down linemen. Um, very similar to what we did in San Francisco and Ohio State. A lot of people are doing it in the NFL. Um, but I've started to adapt and create different one high shells, which really play like two high shells and get extra guys in the box. Yeah. You just got to stop the quarterback run game. So it's yeah. a different, it's almost when I talk to my friends in the NFL and we talk defense together, it's almost a different game. Yeah. So how much time in that clip when he's talking about how he defines his scheme does he spend talking about the front? It's, it's almost nothing. The four, three and three, four stuff just doesn't matter. And if you look at what the, the elite coordinators in the NFL do to set their defenses apart from everybody else, it's all in the secondary. The the quote-unquote Fangio scheme is a quarters-based zone scheme by and large. He does cover six stuff in there too. Uh, the the Dan Quinn scheme comes from, from Seattle and, and Gus Bradley there too. That's all a lot of cover three stuff. Uh, brand, uh, the Brandon Staley version of the, the, the Fangio tree stuff. And I guess the Joe Barry version of that is also a lot of cover three, even like, look at the Tampa two, the, one of the most famous defenses, probably the, the defense, I don't know, other than like the 46 defense from the bears back in the eighties, that's probably the defense that most people could name just off the top of their head. The Tampa two is not about the 4-3 or the 3-4. It's about the back end. It's about the coverage. That's what it's all about. That's what sets defenses apart, not what's going on up front with your with your linemen and your linebackers. We're also going to hear some talk about how personnel is going to show that the Packers are, are making a big switch here, the changes that they want to make to personnel. I would just like to remind you that almost all the personnel changes that we are going to see are things that were going to happen anyway. Returning again to that article from Tom Silverstein, he talks about how in the base defense, the Packers want to do more with Quay Walker and Isaiah McDuffie and also add some more talent there. They also want to make sure that they're moving Kenny Clark around, giving him more opportunities at end. Uh, And then many, many other people have talked about what the Packers need to do at safety. All right. All of that is true. That is stuff that's going to happen in this defense, but just look at it logically. Had the Packers not changed their scheme, look at their front. Were they going to need more help up front anyway? Yeah, that's not a scheme issue. Were the Packers going to upgrade at linebacker? Again, yeah. Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, and Isaiah McDuffie does not a linebacking core make in any scheme. I mean, you have Walker and McDuffie there for sure, and you should probably move on from Devondre Campbell this offseason because he's he's old, he's he visibly aging as a player, and he doesn't seem to want to be in Green Bay anyway. That's not a scheme issue. That's just we need more good players. And at safety, well, maybe Halfley's approach does change who you're looking for slightly, but they were going to need upgrades there anyway. Look at the guys who played most of the snaps at safety there last year. Jonathan Owens, Rudy Ford, Darnell Savage, and Anthony Johnson Jr. You tell me, which of those two do you want as your starting safeties in 2024? Just pick two. Who, who are your favorite guys in that group? Yeah, you want to upgrade. If you had the chance to upgrade from any of those four, would you? Of course you would. And that's not a scheme issue. The Packers don't have a scheme issue issue with their personnel. It's not that their personnel are miscast for any scheme. 
It's just that they need more good defensive players. And kind of as a related note, I'm sick of people talking about how many first-round picks the Packers have on defense. Darnell Savage is a first-round pick and is going to be out of this locker room here in the near future. And if he comes back, nobody should be hanging the expectations on him from five years ago that he was a first-round pick. Has he played like a first-round pick? Shoot, in three years? Pre-pandemic was the last time we're talking about Darnell Savage as a plus player on this defense. Is Eric Stokes going to play again? Like, even if he's not a first-round pick, just is he going to play? I would say probably not. And then you've got, of course, uh, Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt and um, Lucas Van Ness, all three recent first-round picks. Sure, they're playing considerably, but it's it's not like they're awash with guys that have all recently been first-round picks who you're expecting to still be good. Those are guys that you're still figuring out who they are as a player, Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, they've been here so long that you can't really consider them just first-round picks anymore just because they've proven themselves to be good. We need to stop getting hung up on what the Packers have invested on defense in terms of, of where guys were picked because a bunch of these guys, they're they're open questions. And you expand that out to like free agent signings and, and re-signings and stuff like Devondre Campbell. Yeah, they invested in him, but he's, he's not any good. They just need better players uh, and they, they need to get past some of the misses that they've made. Then just as a kind of a related note here, um, the difference between the 4-3 that I think a lot of us think of when we think of a 4-3 defense and the way that it is played now should break down the distinctions between 3-4 and 3-4-3 uh, a little bit more too. Look at the big edge rushers they have in San Francisco. They're, they're defensive ends. You've got Nick Bosa, you've got Chase Young's Young, Kevin Givens up there too. Bosa, Young, and Givens go 266, 264, and 285 pounds. They're not huge defensive ends. Eric Armstead is the biggest end probably. I don't even know if you'd call him an end as much as a tackle. But just for the sake of argument, let's say he's an end. He's their biggest one, and he's 290 pounds. The days of the Reggie White-sized 4-3 base defensive end are, are gone. You just don't have 300-pounders playing on the end of your line anymore, and that works out pretty well for the Packers because you've got Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, Preston Smith, all in the 270-pound range. Rashawn Gary actually slimmed down a little bit, but even he is not like old-school mid-to-early-90s defensive end size. Uh, J.J. Anigbari, who we'll talk about here in a little bit in our season recap of edge rushers, goes in the mid-260s right in line with where these other guys are. So just from a size and ability standpoint, it's just not that different. The 4-3 to 3-4 stuff just doesn't matter that much. You're going to see bigger differences in the Packers' secondary and how they use their secondary to support that front more than I think you're going to see differences in the front. I'm going to step off of that soapbox now. Hopefully we don't bring this up again until training camp. I'm going to try to hold myself to that. Let's talk about edge rushers, though. 3-4, 4-3, the Packers need some guys to rush the passers. And in 2023, they had some good ones. Dating back to training camp, I was thinking back to how we covered this group at the start of the season. Of all the groups on the Packers' defense, of all the position groups, this one at the start of the season, I think, felt the most locked in. It felt like the most known commodity. You knew exactly what you were going to get from this group. And I feel like just looking at the overall output from this this room, we got basically what we were promised here. 
you had a, a developmental prospect or two. You had your high-end performers. You had even Rashawn Gary coming back from injury, basically played to type there, uh, played like injury wasn't a big factor for him at all. It was about as good, I think, of a season as you could hope for from your edge rushers. Sure, you would hope for for more finishing in general, but I think they held up their end of the bargain on defense more or less. If you're looking for where there were problem areas on this Packers defense, it wasn't at the edge rusher position. And I think you got to feel pretty good about what you were able to put out on the field if your Packers general manager uh, Brian Gutekunst, as you look at the the edge rusher room and, and Rashawn Gary coming back, I think comfortably ahead of schedule there really helps you in a lot of ways. You you just can pencil him in for a few snaps of a game way ahead of schedule and ease him into the lineup. It helps so much with this with this group because they that mean they didn't have to uh, rely on Lucas Van Ness for heavy snaps from the start. You didn't have to lean on JJ Anigbari. You didn't have to really mix in Brenton Cox at all. And you could move on from a guy like Justin Hollins, who we'll talk about here in a second. But overall, I think a, a good year for this group in 2023. Uh, and as we look in, in the individual players, or at the individual players who, who played significant snaps here for the Packers, you're not really going to see anybody who had really what you could qualify as a, a bad season. Uh, just since this is a little bit different from what we did in the last episode, talking about quarterbacks, I kind of want to set up how I want to talk about players on an individual level this year um, and and how we do this every year, really. When we look at our position-by-position position recaps, I don't want to spend time doing absolutely everybody. So I make a cutoff in, ter- in terms of who we're going to actually spend significant time talking about. Uh, you have to have played at least 100 snaps on your primary side of the ball uh, to merit discussion when we talk about your position group. So for the Packers edge rushers, that gets us to four players this year. Brenton Cox and Justin Hollins are the only other edge rushers who played uh, in the regular season, but neither of them cracked 100 snaps. Cox played just four snaps on defense, also threw in nine on special teams. Appears to have been a bit of a roster stash this year. We've seen the Packers do that a couple times over the past couple of years. Caleb Jones comes to mind. Jonathan Ford comes to mind now basically two years running. Uh, and Cox fell into that category in 2023 as well. I think you almost have to see more of him in 2024, assuming the Packers don't take anybody in the draft. And that's a pretty big assumption with 11 draft picks. You can always use more help at, on the edge. And with uh, Preston Smith aging here, even if he comes back or assuming he comes back, which is a bit of a big if here, I think, um, you're you're going to need to continue to backfill at that position. So, Uh, Whether it's Cox or a draft pick, they're going to need more from further down the depth chart uh, from this group. Then you've got Justin Hollins, who was released after four weeks, played 84 snaps on defense through those four weeks, uh, 20 more snaps on special teams. Kind of looks like this was a let Lucas Van Ness get his feet wet sort of situation, let him see how he he develops right away. Van Ness played some of the the, the heaviest snaps of the season in, in those first couple weeks, week one in particular. So I think the Packers felt pretty comfortable moving on from Justin Hollins there pretty early in the season. As for guys who played significant snaps as edge rushers this year, we've got four of them. The first is Lucas Van Ness, and we'll go from fewest snaps played to most snaps played and kind of talk through guys from there. Van Ness played 365 snaps on defense this year. 
47% of the snaps on defense in week one and never actually played that many snaps. Again, in fact, he only broke 40% in terms of playing time four times over the course of the regular season. Played another 101 snaps on special teams too, so adds a little bit of extra value there. In terms of the counting stats, four sacks, eight tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hits this year. Advanced numbers-wise, a pressure rate of 9.24%, which is not bad, but was eighth best on the team. The Packers were getting after the quarterback fairly regularly this year, though maybe not finishing at the rate that uh, you would hope that they could. Uh, Just getting a lot of plays where they affected the quarterback but didn't hit or sack the quarterback. His uh, pressure rate on true pass sets was 9.82%, so slightly better. You like to see that. They're seventh best on the team. His stop rate, defensive uh, run defense there, was 6.5%, which was fifth best on the team. So a pretty well-balanced rookie year, I think, for Lucas Van Ness. Prediction-wise, we did pretty well on Van Ness this year. We predicted that he'd play more snaps in 2023 than Rashawn Gary did as a rookie back in 2019. He did. Uh, Lucas Van Ness played uh, 365 snaps. Uh, Rashawn Gary was just in the mid-200s there, 246 snaps at two in 2019. Predicted that Van Ness would have at least four sacks. He did, uh, four sacks exactly in the regular season, and predicted he'd have a pressure rate below 10%, which was true, 9.24%. So pretty solid read on where Van Ness was coming into this year. Overall feelings on him, I think, are pretty good for me. Uh, we kind of expected, I think, uh, both individually for me and as a fan base and as you know, people interacting with the with the podcast and our Discord server that he was going to have a pretty rotational role this year. And he did, he, and he filled it well, especially as the season went on. You saw him play more with his hand on the ground as a pass rusher. Um, that seemed to help him a lot, which bodes well for what he's going to do in 2024. The only real complaint I'd have with Van Ness is that we didn't see him that much. I would have guessed that we would see him more, especially as the season went on. But they never really just cut him loose. Uh, he was always kind of in a timeshare for the number three edge rusher spot with J.J. Anikbari. And maybe that factored in a little bit, even with Rashawn Gary, uh, either playing more snaps than expected or just still being on a pitch count even later into the season. So they couldn't just rotate him in um, and have Preston Smith out there. They like to go in in, in kind of shifts there and have Anikbari and Van Ness on the field together while Smith and Gary came out, um, just do kind of the hockey subs there. But just wish we would have seen a little bit more of him. All that said, I feel like he easily met expectations this year. Um, No real complaints at all. Looking ahead to 2024, I think things are very, very promising for young Lucas Van Ness. Whatever the Packers defense is going to look like, it's fair to say and easy to say that he is going to have a role in it. I wonder if he's going to end up moving around on the front a little bit more. If you want guys playing with their hand on the ground, that seems to to tie in really well with what he can do. Maybe we see more of him as an inside rusher than we did in 2023, which is to say anything at all. We really didn't see him kick inside as an interior rusher at all in, in 2023. And I thought that would be all but a sure thing Looking at his skill set and looking where he played in college, he played inside a lot at Iowa and really didn't get a chance to do it in Green Bay. Maybe he gets a chance to do it under Halfley uh, more than he did under Barry. I feel like if Mike Pettin had been the defensive coordinator in 2023, he would have seen, seen that for sure, um, but I, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. He just did not do that for the Packers um, this past season, and we'll see if he does anything different under Halfley this next season. 
Next up is J.J. Inigbari, who played 452 snaps on defense, 194 on special teams, 46% and 45% of the snaps on those units, respectively. In the box score, two sacks, eight tackles for loss, and six quarterback hits. His pressure rate on the year, 11.2%, came on strong down the stretch. His rate really went up over the course of the season quite a bit. Ended up fourth on the team in that uh, figure, just a, a hair ahead of Preston Smith. They flip-flop in true pass sets, uh, 13.56% pressure rate for uh, Inigbari in true pass set situations. That is fifth best on the team just behind Preston Smith. His stop rate of 6.99% was third best on the team. Uh, Expectation-wise or prediction-wise, I predicted he would meet or exceed his pressure rate from 2022 and 2023. He did. He upped his pressure rate from 9.8% to 11.2%, so I feel pretty good about that one for him. However, he did not meet or exceed his sack total from 2022 this season, dropping from 3 to 2. Just did not finish as often as I, I think he may have had opportunities to do there. Uh, I think that is a, a an emblematic thing for this whole edge rusher group, though, just did not finish as often as they probably could have. Overall, it feels like Inigbari was basically a rotational guy in 2022 who ended up in a slightly larger rotational role in 2023. And, you know, slightly larger, a little bit tongue-in-cheek there. He actually played fewer snaps than he did in 2022, though I think that's partly due to Rashawn Gary coming back a little bit earlier than expected. In 22, he played more snaps, snaps than expected because of Rashawn Gary's injury. In 23, he maybe played uh, a role that was probably more aligned with where he would have been in in uh, 2022 had Gary not been injured. But, you know, we're kind of splitting hairs there a little bit. He, about the same role, put it that way. I think he did meet my expectations, though, this year. If... J.J. Inigbari is your third or fourth edge rusher. You probably don't have any major complaints. Is he setting the edge as strong as he possibly could? Is he getting suckered in the run game? Uh, Sometimes, you know, giving up edges? Yeah, sure. But he does his job when he's out there. He plays hard. And look, he's your your third or fourth guy off the bench. You're not counting on him to, to be your hardcore edge setter. And um, an elite pass rusher, though maybe you'd wish he was a little bit better in one of those two areas. So you could say at least he's our run-stop guy off the bench or at least he's our situational pass rusher off the bench. But hey, we're talking again about a, a day three pick in his second year. It feels like it was a pretty good year for him. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL in the playoffs, rendering his 2024 outlook pretty uncertain here. Just to ballpark it a little bit, he tore his ACL on January 14th, September 1st. I don't know if the Packers are going to play September 1st. It'll probably be the week after that. I don't know. Uh, But just to use that as a a ballpark date, September 1st would be 231 days post-injury, not quite eight months. It seems reasonable to me, and I don't want to assume anything or guess wrong in anybody's injury. Everybody's injuries are different. No two ACL injuries are the same. It seems reasonable to assume he'll be on the pup list to start next year. Stranger things have happened, but that would be a very rapid recovery. We also have to account for the possibility of a different role in a 4-3 defense versus a 3-4. I went back and looked. He did do some hand down rushing in college, not just tons, but you feel like he could probably make that change if he needed to. 
uh, and he's going to need to because it looks like the, the defense is going to be a little bit different in 2023. Next up is Rashawn Gary, who played uh, 587 snaps on defense this year. Not a single one on special teams, not a special teamer at all. He, that's a pretty good snap count, I feel like, for him, considering he didn't play more than 46% of the snaps in any of the first five weeks of the season. But after that five-week mark or so, he was off and running. He only played under 60% of the defensive snaps three times the rest of the way in the regular season. And two of those three times, he was basically one snap away from hitting 60%, 59.7% twice in the last 11 games of the regular season. Box score stats, nine sacks, seven tackles for loss, 22 quarterback hits, just off of career high in all three of those numbers there. Advanced stats, uh, pressure rate at 15% first on the team, true pass set pressure rate at 18.93% first on the team as well. Stop rate a little bit better than I expected at 6.73%, fourth on the team. Prediction-wise, I was wrong in a bunch of ways on Gary, but that ended up being great for the Packers. I thought he would have a down year coming off his ACL and not even play a full season because I thought he would be on the pup list to start the year. Uh, I predicted he'd have a pressure rate under 13.5%. Missed on that one. Was way better. I thought he would have between 6 and 10 sacks. Correct. He had he had 9 sacks, and I, I thought he would play at least 10 games. With con- Went conservative on the prediction there. But he ended up appearing in all 17 games for the Packers in 2023. Overall, I think Rashawn Gary's season kind of mirrors the Packers' season in a lot of ways. Heading into the season, you had a lot lower expectations for Gary than I think we did at the the end of the season. Overall, I think it was a really good year, and I think you've got some evidence that he kind of wore down over the course of the year. As he played more snaps, his pressure rate dropped off. Uh, He got less contact on the quarterback, and I think it seems like a reasonable hypothesis that he was probably not in as good of condition as he normally would have been considering his off season was spent recovering from ACL surgery rather than doing normal off season stuff and you would guess or you would think you know just as a from a a physical fitness perspective that you know maybe you don't have time in the off season to to do your conditioning and stuff but you come in in training camp you get into the into um into football shape so you're ready to go. Can't you kind of do that conditioning stuff in season? I don't think it really works that way, unfortunately, because your your off-season conditioning kind of sets the baseline for where you are, and then you go down from that. If you're unable to do the off-season conditioning, your baseline is just lowered, and then you're going down from there. So I think wearing down a little bit is to be expected. And it does look bad to wear down, but like I said, he's a good example of expectations changing over the course of the year. He overperformed in some ways, so do we measure him by the overperformance or by what we originally thought? I don't have a good answer there, so I think you solve it by just saying this was a post-ACL year, his first year post-ACL. And I think, on the whole, for his first year post-ACL tear, he was pretty great, even if he did tail off a little bit at the end. I think he played well enough that you feel pretty good about giving him that extension, and I think he all told hasn't had a season where he met expectations. But headed into 2024, he is the Packers' most interesting piece on defense, I feel, because he's their best defensive player. How much do they want him to even change in a scheme change? How does he do things in a scheme change? 
I wonder a little bit about the idea of a natural position fit with him. Packers fans might have a little bit of a a trigger on that word, dating back to the Demarius Randall pick in 2015. Um, he always said, no, he didn't always say. He said after things started going badly at corner that his natural position was safety. But he actually said in his rookie training camp he felt that his natural position was corner. But all that to say, Rashawn Gary's natural position may not be as a stand-up edge rusher, but a hand-down kind of edge rusher, because that's really what he did in college. And if you go back to high school, that's what he was doing. He's always been kind of a, a very traditional hand-on-the-ground defensive end until he got to Green Bay. That was the big story in his early Packers career. How did he transition from being essentially, in some cases, a defensive tackle, like an interior lineman, to a stand-up edge rusher? Now that he's potentially going back the other way, how does that change for him? How much do they want him to change? How do they use him in a new scheme? That, I mean, whether it's a 3-4 or a 4-3, how they use Rashawn Gary is an important question. One of the things that I was hoping we would see from him um, is, a, is a lot more of the Zadarius Smith type uh, spinner role, I think they call that, some some football knowers call it that, but the, basically a an edge rusher standing up in the middle of the defense. Uh, at his the peak of his powers in Green Bay, you saw that a lot from Zedaria Smith, standing up with his you know big long arms, just being a huge dude standing right up over center and causing big problems for opposing offenses. There, I've wanted to see that from Rashawn Gary for a long time, and we got it for like six snaps total in 2023, and it seemed to work when it happened. But just they never really have seemed to want to move him around all that much. Is, is that going to change here in a new scheme? How does he play the run in a new scheme? Uh, run defense has always been a little bit of a problem for Rashawn Gary in Green Bay. But you take that trade off because rushing the passer is more valuable. Is it possible that he could be a better run defender in a new scheme? Or could things go worse for him? We don't know. But there's also the tantalizing possibility that as good as Rashawn Gary has been over his time in Green Bay... Could he be even better in a different scheme? If you really have a bright defensive coordinator who can do some things that really maximize the individual talents of his players, is it possible that we see an improved version of Rashawn Gary in Green Bay? That's an intriguing possibility. Let's round out the edge rushers by talking about the elder statesman Preston Smith. 732 snaps on defense, four on special teams this year. Just under 66% of the snaps, but the second fewest total number that he has played on defense during his time in Green Bay. Box score numbers, eight sacks this year, third season uh, straight with at least eight, up to 41.5 over his five seasons with the, with the Packers. The next highest player on the Packers career leaderboard is Aaron Campman with 51.5, just for your personal notes. So closing in there would need at least one really good season to get there or a couple middling seasons. Uh, to catch up with a guy like Aaron Campman. Advanced stats-wise, pressure rate of 10.5%, fifth on the team just behind J.J. Anigbari. Again, they flip-flop between the overall pressure rate and the true pass set pressure rate. Uh, he's up ahead of J.J. Anigbari in the true pass set rate at 13.96%. Per- uh, stop rate, sixth on the team with a rate of 6.42%, just behind Lucas Van Ness. Prediction-wise, I predicted he'd be above 10% in pressure rate, which was correct. I also thought he'd have between six and nine sacks, which was correct as well. 
Overall, I thought this was a good season from Preston Smith. If there is a problem with his situation with the Packers, I think it's just salary cap stuff. For this year, it was just $6 million, just 6.3, I think, is the exact figure uh, in terms of what he counted against the cap. Next year, it goes up considerably. What he gave you in 2023 seems pretty good for the cap figure he was at. But is that what you want from him next year? Let's put a pin in that here for just for a second. The great thing about Preston Smith is that other than the one season blip where, where things did not go well for him in 2020, and I think it, things did not go well for a lot of us in 2020, uh, but he's just been very reliable. Uh, he is what he says on the tin, you know, as, a, as I've put it before. Every week you open up the box and there's going to be one Preston Smith in there. And Preston Smith is going to be the same this week as he was last week, and he's going to be the same next week as he was this week. He's going to set the edge pretty hard against the run. He's going to give you some solid but not spectacular pressure, probably going to collect a few cleanup sacks over the course of the year, and that's just what he's going to be. That's what he's been for two or three years now, ever since he he got back from that down year, uh, that slump year, pandemic year, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he's just been a reliable guy in Green Bay, which was basically what he's been over his entire career, just been a solid, steady sort of player. So I think he met expectations yet again this year because expectations, I think, were a little bit lower than they're going to be if his cap number is allowed to jump like we expect it to uh, over this, this next year. That is the big question. So what you got from Preston Smith was great for 2023 as we look ahead to 2024. He had a cap hit of $6.3 million for his age 31 season. However, next year, his age 32 season, that cap hit jumps to $16.5 million. Is what you get from Preston Smith a good ROI for that cap hit? I consider myself a pretty big Preston Smith fan. And I would have to take a pretty long, hard look at that number before I feel good about it. If you wanted to get him back, you probably could. The cap machinations are not super important to me if they decide they want to bring him back. He's a solid player. J.J. Nigbari's injury probably complicates your edge picture more than you would like, so you probably need a guy like Preston Smith. If you're replacing two of your top four edge rushers in one offseason, that gets to be a considerably bigger problem than you would otherwise have to have. There are things they can do to make his cap hit more palatable. You can look into that if you want. Here is one thing I will offer you that you should know for sure. According to OverTheCap.com, he has a roster bonus due on the fourth day of the 2024 league year. So that would be March 16th, 2024. That should give you a timeline on the decision the Packers have to make. If things are going to get done, if they're going to move money around, it's got to happen before then because otherwise things get really crunchy as far as his cap number for 2024. I'm going to get the number right eventually. Uh, For 2024, things get a lot more complicated if that roster bonus hits. That is still an if that is hanging around out there. Would love to have Preston Smith back. I think his game is going to age pretty well. Yeah, he may not be a dynamic pass rusher, but he, that's never really been his thing. He's just been sort of a a consistent pass rusher, put it that way, than a dynamic one. He's not making big, splashy pass rushes. He's the consummate slow-burn pass rusher. That's That, I think, was what he still was in 2023, and he could very well run that back again in 2024. And looking at the state of the edge rusher group right now, the Packers could probably use it. 
That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.